Amen. May that be true of us. May it be a prayer of ours that we trust Him. He is trustworthy. And He is with us even now, by the presence and power of His Spirit. And because we trust Him, we open His Word and we hear from Him. And so I want to share with you for the next few minutes from the text uh, that I read just a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 23. You know, this past week, my kids discovered a movie that I remember from my own childhood, and that is uh, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Anybody remember uh, that movie or familiar with that movie, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey? If you're not familiar with that movie, you remember the three pets, uh, Shadow, Chance, and Sassy, uh, who set out on this journey by themselves, by themselves, going to, well, together but alone, um, uh, to go home. They're headed home. They, th- their owners, whom they love, uh, have left them with an owner's friend for a temporary period of time. And the, the pets, the two dogs and the cat, wonder what in the world's happened. They think they've been left. And so they take the, it upon themselves under the, the wise um, intuition of shadow, the golden retriever, to set out through the wilderness, across the mountains, across rivers and rapids and waterfalls, encountering bears and mountain lions and porcupines, all sorts of things. And finally, they make it home. They make it to the place uh, that uh, they want to be. And they're this beautiful story reunited with, uh, with their owners. You know, when our story uh, in Exodus uh, that we're journeying through together, a people are headed home. They're headed to a home, a land that uh, really they're unfamiliar with because they have not yet settled in this land, but it's a land that God has promised to them, a land that God has promised to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it becomes quite clear, it becomes quite clear in our text for today, but throughout the journey that they're not going to get there alone. They can't simply depend on uh, intuition. They need divine intervention. They need the Lord to guide them along the way. And, and He does. He promises to. And, and He does. And I, I want to share just a few truths. I want to share really four truths from this text uh, about the Lord uh, and His divine intervention in the lives of His people. And the first is this. It's that the Lord has come to help His people. The Lord has come to to help His people. He, you see, he, he has rescued these Israelites. He has led them out of slavery in Egypt. He has heard their groaning, their cries for help, the story says, in Egypt. And He has come to deliver them. He has come to their rescue. Church, did you know that the Lord hears the cries of the brokenhearted? That He hears, He knows... He cares and he helps. He responds. He comes near. The the Lord has come to help his people, not only breaking the bonds of, of slavery in this story, but also preparing his people to flourish in the promised land under his sovereign and gracious rule. Well, how does he come to help? How is it in this particular story that the Lord comes to help. Well, you may have picked up on this. God says, I'm, I'm sending an angel. He says, I'm sending an angel who's going to protect you and guide you and hold you accountable and fight for you. In other words, the place I have prepared for you is good. It's a good place. It's a good land. But you can't get there and flourish there alone any more than you could have walked out of Egypt under the heavy hand of Pharaoh alone. You, you need me, God says. 
You need divine intervention. God says, I, I'm, I'm committed to you. I, I'm coming to help you. So listen to me. God says, I'm sending an angel. Who is this angel? Well, a number of different possibilities have been proposed, at least five of them, probably more than that. But I want to hone in on two, the two that I think are most plausible. The first perhaps seems the most obvious that this is indeed an angel, an actual and specific angel from God, perhaps Michael, the archangel who elsewhere appears in the Bible fighting the devil. But, you know, at least one point seems to make this unlikely, and that is this, that the angel here in verse 21 can forgive sin. This this, this angel can forgive sin. God and God alone can forgive sin. We know this from God's word. And this is why, remember, the the religious folks in Jesus' day became so angry with, with Jesus when he talked about forgiving sin. They were ready to stone him. They were ready to kill him. They, they knew that God and God alone can forgive sin. And here shows up this man, Jesus of Nazareth, claiming to forgive sins with the power to forgive sins. Well, of course, they were right that God and God alone can forgive sins. They just didn't know that this one had been sent from God to forgive our sins. Which leads us to the other possibility that I want to mention. This angel, this messenger, really that's what angel means in the scriptures. This messenger is not just from the Lord. He is the Lord. He is, as as many scholars and theologians suggest, the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the commander of the army of the Lord who appeared to Joshua. He is Yahweh dwelling among his people. The people are to obey him and not to rebel against him. Why? For the Lord's name is in him. But you know, even if we land on a different Conclusion, if we draw a different conclusion about this particular angel in the greater context of this book, in the greater context of God's word, this one is no doubt meant to cause us believers to think of Jesus. The words of one preacher like the angel, Christ is our guardian and guide. Like the angel, Jesus speaks to us with authority And with a message from God, like the angel, Jesus bears the name of God, for he is, as the scriptures declare, the image of the invisible God. And so God says to these people, his people, he says, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared for you. Likewise, Jesus, our Savior, says to his followers to his disciples just hours before he's betrayed he says my father's house has many rooms he says if that were not so would i have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where i am church the lord has come to help his people and secondly the lord promises to bless those who obey him Lord promises to bless those who obey him. Once again, God calls for total allegiance, complete allegiance and devotion from his people. These people, his his people, the Israelites have left a land of, of many gods. Remember, they've come from Egypt, a place where numerous gods, a plethora of gods are worshipped. Even Pharaoh himself, given the status of God. 
land of many gods and they're going to Canaan, a land of many gods. And the living God says to them in verse 24, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and a host of other things God says and promises to his people. You see, God calls his people to be distinct. He calls them to be different. Calls them to be set apart, to be to be holy, for, uh, to be distinct from everyone else. Don't don't worship like the Canaanites. He says, instead, worship, honor, obey, and serve the Lord alone. And as you do, if you do, He says, I will bless you. God says to His people, He's going to provide nourishment and health and offspring, a long life, a good land. Right? This sounds good. Physical blessings. Don't miss this, though. Meant to declare the supremacy of Yahweh over the false gods of the Canaanites. So, sort of imagine, this makes me think of, you know, a couple of little boys, little friends, talking back and forth, trying to one-up each other and say, well, my, my daddy's stronger than your daddy, or my daddy's better than your daddy, whatever it may be. My daddy's better at, at basketball than your daddy, whatever it may be. Here it's as if God is saying he's blessing, he's going to bless his people who obey in order ultimately to declare his greatness, his superiority, his supremacy, over the gods of the people around them. God wasn't promising universal health and wellness. That's not what he's promising here. It was speaking generally about the well-being of his people in comparison to the pagan peoples around them. But you know, even so, we, we need to be careful in how we hear this. Because here is a promise for a specific people at a specific place at a specific time in salvation history. And these are not promises of physical or material blessings for Christians today. We we want them to be, right? We're tempted to read this in that way. Many folks would want us to hear this message in that way, but that doesn't jive with what Jesus told his followers. told them quite the opposite, that they would suffer. They would be hated and that the suffering would not end until heaven. So the blessings the Lord gives to those who obey Him today are not primarily physical in nature. God does provide for us in that way, but primarily, I think, spiritual in nature. Joy in the midst of dark days. Peace through tribulation. Patience and affliction. Assurance of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ who has already come to help us and through whom we receive God's rich blessings and by whom we experience victory over our enemies. The text is clear. The story of God's Word is clear that the Lord confronts our enemies causing them to flee. We see that in this specific portion of the story. The the Lord says, I'm going to confront your enemies. I'm going to lead you into battle and I'm going to go before you. I'm going to cause your enemies to flee from you. Verse 27, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. In other words, the Lord tells his people that he's going to fight their battles. That even though he commands his people to march into Canaan and defeat their enemies, that he's going to be the one who gives them victory over their enemies. God says, I am going to do it. He's going to do it. Meaning without him, they cannot. He's going to do it. And he's going to do it on his schedule. 
He's going to give them the promised land, he says, and going to do so in a way that exalts his reputation and benefits his people. And church, not only has the Lord come down to defeat the enemies of ancient Israel. This is an ancient story, but it's not just an ancient story. He has also come down to defeat our enemies as well. New Testament declares that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities that oppose God and his people. Meaning that those who trust in Jesus Christ have victory over their enemies and a final inheritance and another greater promised land that awaits all who follow Jesus Christ. And so we can stand together, every believer from any nation, tribe, people, or language, past, present, future, young, old, doesn't matter the color of your skin, your age, your gender, where you live, where you come from, all believers in Jesus can stand together with Paul and face uncertainty and say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was writing to Christians. This was a truth, a promise, a gospel truth that is for uh, those who are in Christ. Meaning those who have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation. I would be amiss this morning if I didn't ask you, have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? Have you trusted in Christ the King? Have you believed the promises of God? Have you turned from sin and put your faith in this one or are you still serving other gods? Are you chasing the pleasures of this world? You see, the Lord demands our singular devotion. That's crystal clear from this story. And all of Exodus and really all of God's word. He is a God who demands our singular devotion because he and he alone deserves our singular devotion. You see, he rules and reigns on high. He is the eternal one, the almighty maker of heaven and earth who rules and reigns, who always has and always will, who reigns on high even in the midst of 2020. He is in charge. There is no one equal to Him. There there are none other who stand beside Him. He alone is God. He cannot and will not share His throne with any other. The Scriptures declare that heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool. He rules and reigns on high and He longs to rule and reign in our hearts. Does He reign in your heart? Does He reign in your heart? Does He rule over your life? Do you bowed before Him? Are you submitting to Him even now? You see, God closes this text, this portion, this chapter with a warning, a strong warning, a warning found in the final verse, in verse 33, a warning that tolerance of false gods will be a snare. You know what a snare is? A snare is used, something used to, to trap animals, trip them up, to catch them. Here the Lord is saying, worship of other gods is going to be a snare. If you worship other gods, if you tolerate false gods, ultimately it is going to lead to your death. Friends, this is not what our Maker wants for us. He wants our hearts. Does He have your heart? Are you worshiping Him? See, what we're seeing here is that God rescues, blesses, and protects those who trust Him. 
God rescues, blesses, and protects those who trust him. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting him today? He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Are you trusting him today or are you trusting something else or someone else for what Christ and Christ alone can do for you? Trust in Christ's victory. Trust in Christ's victory. Go back today. I ask you to go back today and read this passage on your own, in your own time, and see how many times God is mentioned over and over and over again in this text. God says, I am, I have, I will. You see, the Lord brings the victory. This is God's work through and for his people. God does this. He accomplishes this. He promises to defeat their enemies and calls them to trust him to do so. And likewise, church, we can trust God to win the victory. We can know our eternal salvation is secure, that Christ has won the ultimate battle. And because he has won the ultimate battle, we can trust him through the smaller battles. We can press on serving and trusting Christ our victor and Christ our king. And this is why in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, Paul could say to Timothy, he could say, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Paul says, I'm suffering on account of the gospel, but I'm not ashamed of this because I know whom I have believed in. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. In other words, I trust him. I am confident that he is who he says he is and that his promises are sure. Trust in Christ's victory. Trust him with your life. Trust his victory. And may our trust, church, lead us to obey his commands. Let's obey God's commands. It's trust and obey. It's a simple hymn. Says, trust and obey. There's no other way. Trust and obey. God, God promised to win the victory for his people, but his people would prove they are his people. How? By keeping his commands. And so again and again and again in this text, the Lord calls for obedience. Calls his people to trust him and then to obey him, telling the saved how to live and how to live for him. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. James said to the church, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. What does it say? This is a lot of stuff. Right? Jesus summarized the commands of God for us in this way. He said, love God and love your neighbor. See, when you, when you love the Lord supremely, you will begin. We will begin to love our neighbors. Do you love the Lord supremely? Is he first place in your life? Do you love him more than anything else? Do you love him more than sports? I love sports. I don't want to talk about sports today. I love sports. Do you love him more than sports? Do you, do you love him more than riches? Do you love him more than success? Do, do you love him more than acceptance and other potential idols of our hearts? May we confess our idols, trusting him fully, the kind of genuine trust that produces obedience, the kind of trust and obedience required for all who want to receive God's blessings. Friend, you can receive God's blessings. 
You, you can receive. The scriptures are clear. You, you can. God wants what is best for you. He, you. You can receive the best that He has to offer. And I don't mishear me. I'm not saying. Certainly not saying. Neither Israel's nor our obedience earns or deserves God's blessing. We don't earn it or deserve it. The scriptures are clear on this. What we have earned is His curse. For the wages of sin is death. The earnings of our life of rebellion and disobedience against God deserves death. What we deserve, what we have earned, is judgment. But First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in His great mercy He has given us new birth, a new life. Into a living hope, friends, we, we need hope. Into a living hope, a hope that lives on through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, believer. That's the blessing God gives us by His grace in Jesus. Undeserved. And unearned, but freely given to all who put their faith in Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus? If not, then why not put your faith in Him today? Trust in the Savior. Cry out to Him from a place of your sin, recognizing your failures to live up to God's standard, to honor Him with your life. Confess your sin before Him and turn from it. The Bible calls that repentance. Turn away from it. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't want to sin anymore. I've offended you and I I want to honor you. And I believe that you sent Jesus to be my Savior, to, to live the life I couldn't, to die the death I deserved, and to be raised back to life so that I could be forgiven and have life in Him. Father, I want to follow after Him. Put your faith in Jesus today. Would you bow with me? Father, help us to do so. Lord, may every person, may every man, woman, boy or girl gathered in this place or watching online trust in you for salvation. May our faith be in you today. Father, may we be led to express our confidence that you are who you say you are and to lay our lives before you, to love you supremely and to walk after you. Lord, lead us to do so now by the presence and guidance and power of your Spirit. Lead each of us to respond in a way that honors the name of Jesus in our hearts. Lead us to do so for the glory of your name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.